0: A young cola, a cohele canchana de hiche gare, a yok de dollar, a yanadore, a goilte let yacht in a kid dollar, a gunyushle secoge goil. Kidvliano hen clinic or sincher revlotoka lekela, san oit shah, con ashling vi kushker fahavat, a eru, ashling a cohir gakurmak. Maradurt Podrik Marpirish Egadenam Lianta Kogig Gortagas Rev Lloyd Agasa Yaravig Gokluin Dira Gastamana Herin Ashling the Foblochtseir Agasnyas Plok Naherim. One hundred years ago, our revolutionary forebears in this place were assembled to realize a dream long suppressed. A dream, as Podrik Mark Pirish stated, had been carefully cherished through years of war, famine, and rebellion. <clears throat> a dream asserted by every generation of Irish men and Irish women. The dream of a free and independent Irish republic. Agus <laughs> we'd balia lech helia neu, agus crinio tionskinef na keetal shá, é jock na hardwere, erin fe heenu de aneir neithis an heidiog, a kelloorainn. ...is kartu in tusakar occur, leishin o'khoid, tru amos the da vishnach na nínishin o'hainagin isaka Ke garewa isaaka, garewa si de mwail, agar is maasafoos nashin. Taishatavagd ag freshin, gud duirthi achandas amlan don simbolakas a bwin rawa arinishyad. August Moon Parliament, a Usat Acker, Confogra Pipely Yenev, Griff Dish the Listinuk really so, Taukine, a Brun Er Erfogra in a Public to Asiak, Tavam Dart Othican Fish in Adiakus Shetiak. August aka motion Arangu Acker, Michael David, Charles Stuart Parnell, Shijin. Plenty diff rule a hortlecela is strategic parliament. Strategic quertala verfold the quid wadini, quir kedal ashling nor dun than glun shin, acker foil in a nyig, Nias blockas nis deina, the winter neherin. Let us salute the courage of those who risked incarceration or worse, to gather here on the 21st of January 1919 to establish the first Dáil Let us recognise that they chose a parliamentary means to vindicate the legitimacy of an election fought on the proclamation of the Republic that had been issued outside the General Post Office in Easter 1916. That was a tribute to the means by which the movements of Michael Davitt and Charles Stuart Parnell had come together. A parliamentary tactic that had, after all, delivered the land for many, and for some a dream which had not been realised for their generation of a fuller and deeper independence for Ireland. That dream, which had been asserted in arms in 1916, found a renewed expression in the largest exercise in electoral democracy hitherto undertaken on this island. The parliamentary election of 1918, which was, we must recall, the first election in which many of Ireland's poor could vote, and, of course, the first in which women could vote. With an electorate almost three times the size of that which pertained in the previous elections of 1910, the plurality of Irish people voted overwhelmingly for a political platform dedicated to establishing a constituent assembly comprising persons chosen by the Irish constituencies as the supreme national authority to speak and act in the name of the Irish people. We could have a magnificent trash Doruk, we carries truckative, garev gaulev. In a mass, van a taug, quick parliament snehillion shah, on kuntish usel markevic. Agastavata garev trur, er deepert gaulev. Agasvidini elegile siacon a lako, nor Thirty-four of those elected were in prison, including Countess Markovic, the first woman elected to Parliament. Three had been deported, and while some of those eligible to take their suits did not recognise Dáil Éireann. Mother loo siú do dúúrt an cairn cúrl a cúrl a cúrl a cúrl brúú a fúúha. Mara dúúrt na díní xin an Éireann ag fán loo abad a éirnaf ar wáháil a ni fólar a éirnaf in a Némis. Istrivan or Janga Gukish, Arak Talok Gnonataler and Larshin, <laughs> Tianga Hawal, Agasatavyok Seher Shirito Glastahita, Own Vignail, Wil Connor Gilgerstein in Akiat Agasinu, La Roik Menelke, Agasamella. The establishment of Doleren was not only a revolutionary act of national de- self-determination. It was an act of defiance against an empire that ruled over vast territories and diverse peoples, an assertion that sovereignty belonged not to the Crown, but to the Irish people alone. And given the great forces ranged against that claim, the first all that represented then an act of extraordinary imagination and courage, a courage that would be called upon to be matched and surpassed by the Irish people time and time again, in the turbulent and difficult years that followed. It is one of the tragedies of our history and the history of others, surely, that it is the vicious and arrogant reaction to events as a response of empire that has so often defined what was to follow rather than any attempt at understanding. That was to have tragic consequences, that the authority of Dáil Éireann having been expressed in such a formal parliamentary way was not recognised and thus the will of the people was not being respected. At their meeting on the 21st of January 1919, (coughs) the first Dáil ratified four documents. They constituted proclamations of intent offered as further inspiration for the great struggle for Ireland's independence. The ideals invoked on that day of national self determination, of republican equality, of the sovereignty of the people, constituted a magnificent invocation of the principles that had been bequeathed by those to those revolutionaries who had gone before, and a continuation of the great chain of liberty forged by the United Irishmen, the Young Irelanders, the Fenians, through to the men and women of 1916. The Declaration of Independence, adopted by Dáil Éireann, ratified the proclamation of the Republic that had been read from the steps of the General Post Office on the 24th of April, 1916, and reiterated that all lawful authority in Ireland emanated from the Irish people. The sovereignty of the people was now to be the source and origin of our legal order. The form, structure, and practice of Dáil Éireann tightly choreographed as it was on that day itself, was inspired by the tradition of representative democracy that had been sustained by the great popular and parliamentary movements of the 19th century, such as the movements of O'Connell and Parnell, of Davis and O'Brien. For many years, these were the the movements through which the Irish people sought to obtain the fullest measure of rights, and realisation of national aspirations. In the spring of 1918, the Anti-Conscription Committee had drawn together the wide spectrum of political forces within Irish nationalism, the trade union movement, the Irish Parliamentary Party, the Catholic Church and the Coalition of Republicans and Nationalists, forming under the banner of Sinn Féin, which was contesting at national and local level for the first time in December 1918. The first Dáil thus drew on a diversity of traditions and tactics, invoking the parliamentary tradition as one source, but for some certainly, this was not an exclusive source if complete independence was to be achieved. The opening prayer being given by Father Michael O'Flanagan, the Vice President of Sinn Féin, who had incurred the discipline of the hierarchy for his political activities, is significant. It is evidence of the agitational form of the church, which had earlier emerged. Later, the church influence would be formalized in an institutional sense, reflecting the changing and growing status of the church within the revolution, something which had become apparent in the preparations for the December 1918 elections. As to the institutions that were proposed on that day at the meeting. They clearly and deliberately demonstrated the influence of parliamentarism, but all the people in and the Spanish the The first goal was part and symbol, too, not only of a national struggle, but it was a reflection of a global movement for national self-determination, one that had united peoples from India to Vietnam, from Poland to Algeria, meeting in the aftermath of the catastrophe of the First World War, a clash of empires that had left tens of millions dead and wounded in its wake the First Dole issued a revolutionary message to the free nations of the world, declaring that the new republic believes in freedom and justice as the fundamental principles of international law, because she believes in a frank cooperation between the peoples for equal rights against the vested privileges of ancient tyrannies, because the permanent peace of Europe can never be secured by perpetuating military dominion for the profit of empire, but only by establishing the control of government in every land upon the basis of the free will of a free people. The message aimed at the Versailles Peace Conference, where the fate of the independence of small nations was for discussion, was important. For us today, these words should be a testament to our foundational and enduring commitment to a just and peaceful world order. In these troubled times, when some abjure and disdain international cooperation, we must, honouring these principles, strive to keep faith with the ideals of our forebears. The message to the free nations was issued to a world engulfed not only by a new national awakening, but by a powerful and revitalised trade union movement, one willing to fight for the rights of workers, from Glasgow to Berlin, one capable of winning new rights, and overcoming ancient injustices. For even as the first all met, the trade union movement in Belfast was resolving to embark on a great strike for a 44-hour working week – one that would mobilise over 40,000 workers. Their struggle and their bravery would lay the foundation for the economic and labour rights that we enjoy today – rights that we must not only protect but expand for those rights are necessary to sustain a free republic. The first stolen proclaimed no narrow freedom nor any stunted liberty for the revolutionary Irish Republic. In that most revolutionary of documents, on Clar public Pabloctani in Irish, in English, the Democratic Program, the deputies assembled in the Mansion House 100 years ago proclaimed that. We declare in the words of the Irish Republican Proclamation the right of the people of Ireland to the ownership of Ireland and to the unfettered control of Irish destinies to be indefeasible. And in the language of our first president, Patrick Pearse, we declare that the nation's sovereignty extends not only to all men and women of the nation, but to all its material possessions, the nation's soil and all its resources, all the wealth and all the wealth-producing processes within the nation. And with him, we reaffirm that all right to private property must be subordinated to the public right and welfare. The programme clearly stated the duties and obligations of the new republic to its people with these words. It shall be the first duty of the Government of the Republic to make provision for the physical, mental and spiritual well-being of the children, to secure that no child shall suffer hunger or cold from lack of food, clothing or shelter, but that all shall be provided with the means and facilities requisite for their proper education and training as citizens of a free and Gaelic Ireland. In Unclore, I, Republic Thani, the democratic programme of the First Stole, the ideals of Connolly had found expression through reference to the words of Patrick McPeerish in the proclamation, an ideal of national freedom that included the dream and achievement of economic and social justice. In the spirit of the movements which inspired both men, it is not simply utopian. It is emancipatory in its language and programmatic and systemic in its vision. It is possible to trace a connection in the text from the Constitution of the Citizen Army through James Connolly to the Proclamation and on to the Democratic Programme as it would come to be known. In place of fear, the Democratic Programme offered hope. In place of self-interest, it demanded duty. In place of injustice, it mandated equality, for our forebears were not merely opening a Legislative Assembly, they were founding a new nation one capable of articulating and vindicating the rights and aspirations of the Irish people. Ristardum Malkai, supporting the programme, spoke of wealth being shared. Ne la of father satan quiddis loodam wintergon Nī fēdār lā nās un vē biō, dēn quiddas Nadini, dīni ag yon kārt fēn vīn agus tān a vrāndī arīn galēr, cun vúnu ian av biō agus cun nabāha vūnnu anen Quir a e guivna dāv siūd vīlāha, an sāntas av vīn lēs sīn, a rev gāltanus a Bawalya Makara her suly of the lock Nadala. Cadea Nulgas, said Avon Klasha. The Quirogos or Gori new Nehe. Agas Azeor Nulgas and Kursa Lanunt to Godulu. Agas Bawalya Makara in the Lear Winter Natira. Garcard Dov Kauru, Godinus Godulu. Anas Gamiakara Gumas, a car in Niv Marbakart. Agas Fragra who are taking John Korla. Jarvishen Room. The Hulamur Galeron Mait Chen, we all heard that. Until you've glockules, do you will that proposal to be adopted? Agas Dragar Unkrinu Istel, we will it. For the pledges made on that day 100 years ago, the wait was long and the need for right sought still echoes down the years. The words said on that day matter. Words that can empower, words that can heal, words that might unite, words needed to invoke and summon a nation to action. The First though, drew its support not only from the will of the people of Ireland, but from Irish people across the world. We are, and we must never forget it, a migratory and a diasporic people. Indeed, at the turn of the last century, there were more Irish-born people living abroad than in Ireland. Throughout our war of independence, Irish men and Irish women in the United States of America, for example, would demonstrate time and time again their solidarity and support for the cause of Irish freedom, even if they differed as to the means by which it was to be achieved. We must recognize, however, on this centenary that the first stole did not represent the aspirations of all of the people on our island. In December 1918, over a quarter of a million men and women, mostly but not wholly in the northeast of our island, had voted to maintain the union between Britain and Ireland. And we are tested in the acts of commemoration we undertake as to the authenticity we will bring in terms of the necessary generosity that is required in the act of remembering of the space and hospitality that will be made available to narratives that we share as to time and experience, but differ in interpretation. Many Irish citizens in Northern Ireland will join us today in celebrating the events of a hundred years ago as a momentous step towards our independence. Let us also acknowledge, however, that the legitimacy of the O'Leary and its institutions was not accepted by a significant number of people, particularly by a majority in the counties that were later to be incorporated into the entity that came to be Northern Ireland constitutional issues, issues of territory and sovereignty, have in our politics so often disfigured, indeed thwarted, the potential of a shared life in the economic, social and cultural sphere, and the achievement of rights for all and in all areas of life. We have paid too high a price in human and real republican terms for this. Last year we marked the 20th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement, a moment at which the principle of consent and the spirit of harmony and friendship was placed at the very heart of our Constitution and which was affirmed on an all-island basis as a project for our shared lives and shared island to be achieved together. Over the past 20 years, the people of Ireland, North and South, have worked to develop and achieve the benefits of commitment to human rights, to equal treatment, to a parity of esteem, that can allow for the creation of a shared space, a space capable of accommodating differing and legitimate constitutional aspirations, a space in which it is possible to imagine and shape a future of hope and possibility. That approach, like the doll that followed the election of 1918, was mandated by a majority of the people of Ireland North and South. It too was a moment of change and of hope. And a new dispensation has emerged among our people, one that we cannot allow to be undermined or eroded. Accordure, we assemble today then not only to celebrate a centenary of our democracy, but to reflect upon our collective past, our successes and our failures. We do so as we enter the most difficult part of our decade of centenaries, one in which we shall commemorate the events which came from the very crucible of our Irish Revolution, our War of Independence, and our Civil War. Let us endeavour to do so with the same generosity of spirit we have brought to the commemorations that have gone before. Let us seek to reflect not only the ideals and thoughts that animated our ancestors, but upon the Ireland that our forebears, by their deeds and actions, brought into being and made possible. Our task will not simply be to memorialise the past, but to confront the complex legacies of our history with sympathy and empathy, and in a way that embraces the future with compassion and the joy that may come from a deepened respect for the other. We can and will differ, not only in our interpretation of the past, but in our vision for the future. Even as we do so, we can and we must demonstrate that we are open to the stories, perspectives, and hopes of all the people of our shared island. We can and we must require of ourselves and others a transparency of purpose, an honesty of intent, a serious engagement with historical scholarship, a respect for complexity, and above all, respect for and patience with the beliefs and ideas of others, not only our contemporaries, but those who went before realising that through 1919 and the years that followed, wounds were opened and deepened, towards which the task of remembering today must make more than a gesture at healing. We must not be afraid to face the past, including all of the violence and cruelties released from pent-up exclusions, deprivations and humiliations. So let us not look with any trepidation, Towards the commemorations of the coming years, lest we be tempted to avert our gaze, take refuge in evasion, or seek to ignore the difficult questions they will raise for us all. Let us instead explore our past with open hearts and open minds, respecting all the traditions that exist or endure on our island of migrant peoples. Akoja, when our forebears met in this place 100 years ago, They did so in the full knowledge of the profound responsibility they had assumed. To dare to speak and act in the name of the Irish people was a revolutionary act, one that demanded and still demands today qualities of mind and heart that must be equal to the task. Compassion, wisdom, solidarity, energy, courage, courage in thought, in word, in administration and in action. Those gathered in January nineteen nineteen were the first representatives of the nation to derive their authority directly from the people and the people alone. And to them fell the duty to define Irish freedom. Let us recognize their ambition and the inclusiveness of that ambition. fosle neherin, a it's fedel in adval and in ishgar ag tragoed an cogeg cargam ar hample. Lurig trom an ag gluunio haneag an ag ag ag. Lurig a laidig a himan ar raeithlood bader. Agus freshan, an cianas a bwina gamaag trig a an instituti an A san Vinaha adewart ar an tírsa, ar sli coel agus ishiak. In the 20th century, the invocation of Irish freedom sometimes had a hollow ring for those many citizens who bore the burden of structural inequalities and injustices in Irish society, who suffered the prejudices of class, gender and religion. For too many of our citizens and for too many of those who lived or who sought protection here. Our republic was or became cold, uninviting, and for many it served as a seabed for forms of authoritarianism, incapable of and perhaps unwilling to rise to the ideals of 1916 and 1919, looking narrowly inwards in a way that limited a gaze outwards and northwards. The destiny of our country, the fate of our Irish Revolution, now lies in the hands of this generation of Irish women and Irish men. It falls to us, the Irish people, to forge a renewed vision of Irish freedom in the world today. It is happening, with a recognition of the power of creativity in arts, science, peacekeeping and shared global concerns. The same challenges that confronted the revolutionary generation still abide with us today. We struggle to meet the needs of all of our people even as our Republic remains marred by inequalities in power, wealth, income and opportunity. Poverty subsists amidst plenty, even as we fail to provide for some of our citizens with the basic elements of a dignified existence within our Republic – housing, healthcare, education, support for those with particular needs. And today across the world we are witnessing the return of a ugly xenophobic corruption of nationalism, long since thought vanquished from our political life. The duty to welcome and shelter those fleeing war, persecution and famine, so often relied upon by Irish men and women through the ages, is now being openly disdained, even discarded, by elements within our European Union. True nationalism addresses need not only as part of a nation, but as part of an international family of nations. In this century, our planet and our people face new dangers undreamed of by our forebears. The disastrous loss of natural habitats and species, both here and across our shared and vulnerable planet, and the potentially catastrophic effects of climate change present the island of today with stark challenges – challenges that cannot wait to be addressed. (laughs) Quevenemisha Robert Barton's <laughs> Jura Hotal of Yakta Sakadarak. A Revshamarai make a quit never Hinohori on Faroger Tit Trad the Shun Alanima in our Sanukter and Gophilus Haktiac. Three clean veha corinomus, <laughs> the <laughs> Gakin Dinner than Sheffard Yak, a quirk conbosh an on A Akoja. This century will be defined by our capacity and our willingness to confront and overcome challenges both neglected and new. This generation and the generations to come will be summoned to demonstrate solidarity not only with their countrymen and countrywomen, but with all the peoples of the world, wherever they may be. The struggles to come for equality, for solidarity, for climate justice will demand the very best of all of us. As elected representatives of the people, we have a special duty in all of this, a duty not only to our constituents, but to all the people of Ireland and our shared planet, a duty to honour the past and fashion the future for the benefit of all of those on this island and in solidarity with our sisters and brothers from other nations. As we carry out the work of the people, let us honour the ideas and idealism of those who assembled in this chamber 100 years ago and those who followed them over the last century, let us rededicate ourselves to the cause of peace and justice in the world. Let us continue in our mission to build here in our country, our republic, a republic of liberty, equality and justice for all.